Today is all about the U.S. men's national team and their time in Qatar. What were the feelings of getting to watch our nation play in the World Cup? And how do we rate the performance of our lads in the tournament? Plus, we try to make sense of Greg Berhalter and the inevitable conversation about Gio Reyna. Welcome into the Bad Fan Strap In. Our journey begins right now. This is The Bad Fan, and I am Cole Carter. Joined alongside me are Stephen Curl and Brandon Pacenick. Fellas, we are back with another episode. How are we feeling about getting to talk about our boys in the red, white, and blue? I'm excited to talk about him. We, we talked about him a little bit in previous podcasts, but we're going to take a slightly deeper dive today and just focus on them and what they what they did this tournament, I think. I am like a starving dog getting let out of a cage. I'm so freaking excited uh, to dive into the U.S. men's national team. So excited. Full review. uh, Doing it with my two best pals here. So looking forward to get into it. And a little bit of depth. A little bit of drama. A little bit of reality TV vibes going on this episode. I know. There's been a lot of build up to this moment. I feel like... You know, everything that's happened since the World Cup is finished, since the United States got eliminated by the Netherlands. There's been a lot of feelings and things that need to be said. So it's almost like a therapy session for us. Um, But I do want to start off on a good note. I want to start off on our feelings of actually getting to watch the United States play in the World Cup again after eight long years. So for me, I'll start. I mean, at the very beginning, it felt like this ultimate crescendo moment. Years of waiting, finally culminating into this unified moment of relief and just excitement. Gives that like nice real sense of pride to be back on the world stage again. Albeit, you know, disappointing ending, you know, with the results we had. But the journey itself was a joy, especially getting to see it with you guys in person, um, sharing alongside friends. Like that was the best part for me, getting to watch the US play, just getting to share it with other people. Um, you know, feeling that we haven't had, you know, different time with COVID, just not being in the tournament, all these different factors. Getting to watch it in person for me, honestly, is the best part. And um, despite the perform- performances, I can be a little bit proud of what the boys did there. What about you guys? Yeah, I'll start. I I think they did what we wanted them to do. Um, go out there and play pretty good football and... Um, make their talents known to the world. I mean, the U.S. men's national team, they're well-known to us, but they're not well-known to the world. And I think they really put their their foot in the door, if you will, of the proverbial international stage. Um, you know, knowing that we had the second youngest roster in the World Cup, we played the youngest teams, like as far as like age per minute um, in the World Cup. So... 2026, and we'll get into it later, but 2026 is really, really exciting knowing that we met slash exceeded some people's expectations for this tournament. What can we do going forward? Anywho, like you mentioned, being able to watch the game with you guys, some other friends as well in Atlanta, that was absolutely amazing, and um, I'll never forget it. Yeah, I think going from watching the U.S. men's national team crash out of qualifying in CONCACAF 
on a like a wet field in Trinidad. Like the way it happened when we didn't qualify, I think was almost I'll use the word like degrading almost. It was just this weird, like, yeah, you're not in it. And Trinidad just played you off the field. Going from that moment to hey, you're gonna like play England and have the better chances in a game. Uh was honestly a surreal moment because leading up to the World Cup, the U.S. had some great results against Mexico, but that's all you really had to scope yourself against the rest of the world. It's so different on a world stage. And so I think I think just the sentimental, just like watching that game with you and Brandon, uh, Cole, like in Atlanta, you know, with with our people, with our friends and stuff like that. Like even the simplistic things of me buying Budweiser American, <laughs> like branded beer or whatever, watching the game and watching Leia score with the outside of his boot. Like that did something for me more than so many other sports moments over these past four years. And I think that's the connection to soccer that, um, that Americans like have to the world cup. And that's why it was so crucial that we qualified so detrimental that we missed it on the last go around. And I think emotionally just made me so excited. My first world cup moment. I remember in 2010, Landon Donovan scoring against Algeria. I, I know, and I, and I hope and pray Mm -hmm. that people had that moment, this world cup. And like, just that, makes me like so excited for the future and just happy to see the like just to see us back in the tournament um was just so sweet to see like barring all the drama barring all the results the expectations all that stuff there's something about watching your country whoever you are score a goal in the world cup that just ignites a passion out of you whether you're 10 years old or 50 years old and so that's that's what I'm taking away from the mushy gushy side of the World Cup that I that I really enjoyed this time around. I love it. I love it. I even think, you know, getting to watch a little bit like even my young little nephew who's five years old, he started watching yeah. soccer and getting the joy of the World Cup. Like that's so cool to see too. Um we hope you guys as fans and listeners got the chance to watch plenty of the games. Obviously, we've been talking a lot about it recently. Uh, but now we're gonna kind of review the team itself, maybe the lineups that we put out. All those things. Brandon's going to lead us a little bit on this uh, section of the podcast. I'm going to lead us be on what the thoughts were of the US, U.S. men's nationals teams lineup in the World Cup. Yeah, so we basically kept the same starting lineup the whole tournament, which I didn't expect. Maybe I did. I don't know. Did, I don't know if you guys expected it, but I'm just going to go through the list real quick, and we can either give them grades or just sort of talk about how they played. Um, I'll just leave that out there. But yeah. in goal, Matt Turner played every single minute for us. Um, Serginho Dest, Walker Zimmerman, Tyler Adams, Anthony Robinson, Eunice Musa, Weston McKinney, Christian Pulisic, Tim Ream, Tim Weah, Josh Sargent. Now, that was the starting 11 against Wales. Um, that was our first game that we played. And like I said, the lineup didn't really deviate from there too much. Um any anybody want to start with with highlighting a player that you're really impressed with or or anything? I was gonna say I think just reading it through on paper that sounds like a pretty solid team, does it not? Um, mm. Getting the chance to have Matt Turner, who had made his move to Arsenal this summer, 
giving him the actual chance to kind of show his actual abilities in a real game that matters. Um, moving on from New England Revolution, moving on from being a backup at Arsenal, he now gets the chance to actually play some real meaningful games, and he really showed out. Um, I think he's a guy that I, I would single out just to start with because I don't think people knew what to expect. And he came up big in the England game. He came up big in the Welsh game. And even some chances in the Netherlands game he did pretty, pretty decently with. So I would like to say I, I was pretty um, happy with Matt Turner and um, his performance in the World Cup. Yeah, I'm going to make Brandon talk about the midfield because, um, you know, there's a lot of stars in there. But I think the surprise player for me, honestly, like player of the tournament, to be honest, maybe not on paper or whatever, but Tim Ream, what was asked of this man going into this tournament, not playing for the Usman's national team, I think like eight months prior to the World Cup, in like any of those games, like he was not a part of the squad, very much was a last minute addition, wasn't really thought out or planned to be. Greg Berhalter talked about playing a high line, so a lot of USMN's national team fans thought, okay, high line, pressing, athleticism, that's not really Tim Ream's thing. Tim Ream makes the roster, starts every game, plays every single minute, and avoids, as silly as it sounds, like. He avoids any huge errors uh, in that center back position, which is huge for this U.S. Men's national team. And beyond that, plays pretty well out of the back. Like, as cringe it is for me to say, like Greg Berhalter wanting to play out of the back, <laughs> um, which this team does not have the capability to do. And you saw that with Walker Zimmerman and some instances and whatnot. But Tim Ream went up there, played like a professional, like he plays in the Premier League every single week. Um, and kind of... I'm highlighting him not as a player of the tournament by any means, but kind of one of the unsung heroes maybe that was needed um, for this team to make to the round of 16. So I thought he handled himself very well under pressure um, in high pressing situations, distributed the ball pretty well and defended with class to the best of his ability. So shout out Tim Ream. Uh, That's the guy that like really kind of blew it out of the water for me um, in moments when the U S did not look good. He was highlighted and not in a bad way. So uh, kudos to you, Tim Ream over at, uh, at Fulham, but that was my guy, the tournament that I was keeping my eyes on. <laughs> yeah. I, I think those are two great shouts there. And I do, I don't want to get into like a deep conversation about Greg Berhalter's 26 man roster because you're going to scratch your head in a lot of areas, but yeah. Um, in the leading up to the tournament and qualifying, like you just said, Tim Ream was not on the team. Tim no. Ream has played in the Premier League. He's played in the championship. He's played in the Premier League again. I mean, <laughs> he's he is our best center back option. I know we, we like Jiko Walker Zimmerman, but like Tim Ream is a lot better than Walker Zimmerman. And yeah. that, that again was on full display at the World 100%. Cup. So thank God he was there. Because if he wasn't, and we thought Aaron Long's going to start, if Aaron Long would have started, again, we're not here to bash Aaron Long or any other U.S. Men's National Team players right now, but we would not. I, I think I, it's safe to say we would not have gotten out of the group stage. Um, so Tim Ream, absolutely massive. Matt Turner made some great saves. Um, 
I also wanted to highlight here, uh, Haji Wright started versus England over Josh Sargent. Um, I guess I was expected that he would get some time, especially with his, his success the past two seasons. Um, not mad about that at all. Cameron Carter Vickers did start against Iran. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Iran. Um, and then Jesus Ferreira started against the Netherlands, which can we, can we talk about why that decision was made? Uh, yeah. I know Josh Sargent was hurt, obviously. So you really only have two options because you brought five right backs. Um, and, you know, <laughs> but like, Jesus Ferreira, what he's good at is dropping in and playing like that midfield role, right? Like the false nine, whatever. He was leading the line as if he was playing striker, as if he was a Josh Sargent or a Pepe or a Haji Wright, excuse me. Um, it just seemed like a waste. That's why he was off after 45 minutes. So I, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, I think well, any- for the Jesus Ferreira thing was – you have you have Greg Berhalter and he hasn't showcased him at that point in the tournament. Um, I don't think he had made an appearance until that Netherlands game, and so you have this wild card play that I think Greg honestly is throwing out the card, going, you know, who the hell knows? What if he plays really well or whatnot, and they expect him to do this hold up play, but we're actually going to play him as an upfront and striker. Like, who knows what was going through Greg's mind. I think, in general, throwing a different face out against the Netherlands is what he was thinking. I don't know if that makes it better or worse, whatever it is. Um, probably worse. Yeah, probably worse. Um, and you have, you know, the injury with Josh Sargent. Unfortunate. Like, I think he's rolled, sprained his ankle, whatever it was, over the ball. And then you start to realize you're already slim in the number nine position. And then you have, okay, I've played Haji. I haven't played Ferreira. Hopefully I can get a shift out of Ferreira sub on Haji. I will say, I think that was the plan the whole time. I, I hope, I think. To um, play Ferreira in the round of 16? No, not the whole time. And, and as far as once you get to that point in the round of 16 with Josh Sargent being injured, you have a guy that you have not played yet in a World Cup game. Mm-hmm. And... But it's also weird, though. Like you said, he played in such a forward role. I would have expected him to drop back a little bit, maybe in the point man, kind of dish the ball out here and there. Um, but that kind of wasn't really the case. Uh, but the playing the whole time, as far as once you go into that game, start Ferreira um, and let Haji Wright come in. I, I think that was the plan the whole time. Um, honestly, I don't hate it. But the way it was carried out to I think that t- the team was just tired, too. I think that's what you have to also c- carry on into it. Like Pulisic, like Tim Way, all these guys, the midfield, like everybody was just so tired that I would have loved to see Ferrer drop back a little bit more than he did. But yeah, I don't know. Haji isn't blowing me away either. So, you know, what if maybe if we had a PFOC? Uh, anyways, um. Yeah, the number nine position was the Achilles heel of this U.S. men's national team. And sadly, one of our number nines, arguably our best number nine, is the one that got injured at the World Cup at the most crucial time. So you take what you're dealt. Yeah, yeah. I think at the end of the day for me, well, I think the Jesus Ferrer stuff, ultimately, I think when he did kind of drop back, play that false nine at times, he was just loose with the ball and 
had some yeah. bad passes and stuff that caused some turnovers. That's really not what we wanted to see. And I think that played into him getting taken off. But ultimately, I want to say is that um, I just want to give a shout out to our captain. I think Tyler Adams had an incredible World Cup. If I had to pick a player of the tournament, I think I would really look at him. Um, just his ability that he was here, he was there, he was every freaking where. Except that one goal against the Netherlands. Where he Except that back. Danny but, Blint goal. Yeah, anyways. <laughs> Um, but no, I think he he showed a lot of character of just being determined to lead this team um, on the field, off the field. Um, he carried himself well in interviews. And I just think that's the kind of stuff I want to see from oh. a young guy as we look towards 2026 and just even his time at Leeds right now. Like I want to see him continue to grow on the field because he's a guy that we're going to need in four years. We're going to need him at the Gold Cup next year, all those things. And so I was happy just to see him perform pretty well at the World Cup. Um now I'm not like upset that he got the captain's armband. He's a guy that I can now think, okay, yeah. he's going to handle those situations moving forward, and that gives me some comfort um, as far as like looking at the team. But anything else that yeah. you guys want to look at the team or anything? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Steve, do you have a like a player of the tourney? I know you mentioned Tim Ream, um, but anybody else you want to put in there? Yeah, I mean, I think this was a huge tournament for Tim Weah. Like, I don't think it can be lost on him scoring in that first game against Wales. Um, the the manner in which he scored. And honestly, like, call me dramatic, whatever, I don't care. Um, I mean, three years ago, Tim Weah was the guy. Like, he was the guy that was supposed to be the thing for the U.S. men's national team. And for lack of better terms, fell off. Like, didn't hear anything about him for a while um you know he was playing uh who was it before lil he was at psg wasn't he he was at psg he was at celtic too right scottish premier league anyways yes yeah he was loaned out there yes um but anyways he was supposed to be this guy all this pressure of his father ballon d'or winner george wea um like let's not let have that be be lost like your father being a ballon d'or winner um and president yeah and literally president of liberia uh so i i think really like honing in on this kid like he's still under 25 years old finding form in the world cup internationally and coming back i would love to see how he finishes out this year with lil in the in league one in the french league he's a guy that i think is under a lot of yeah, I'll say under a lot of U.S. men's national team radars because we're talking about Pulisic. We're talking about Giovanni Reina. Hell, we might even be talking about Haji Wright over Timothy Weah. If you're just looking at numbers, like if you're just fixated on numbers, you're seeing goals. It's like, okay, like this is more important than this. So Weah, I think finding the score sheet in this World Cup was huge. Massive, wild, had a fantastic tournament, played fantastic out in the wing. Um that's kind of my guy that I've been highlighting. Yeah. I mean, Pulisic's great. You know, he had a decent tournament. Honestly, I was a little disappointed in him um, being the LeBron James of soccer. Um, <laughs> but Tim Weah, I think, dude, he put his stamp down of authority. He's like, I'm the starting right winger for this national team. In competition against Giovanni Reina and Brendan Aronson, two great footballers right now for this club. Like, yeah. I think, I don't think any three of us would have been like, yeah, Tim Weah is our lockdown right winger for this World Cup. Mm-mm. 
none of us. But that's the way he played. And so I loved seeing that and am keeping an eye on him for the rest of this uh, club season that he's playing with Lil. So, yeah, that's a guy that I'm really looking forward to seeing and hopefully reach his potential and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I, I agree with Tyler Adams. I mean, I think he was definitely our best player this tournament. And we sort yeah. of highlighted that last episode about he's probably going to get a big move this summer if if the chance arises and if a team really, really wants him. Um, super happy that he is the captain of the U.S. Men's national team and he held himself really well in a lot of press conferences, whatnot, and just on the field. I mean, just absolutely phenomenal. Just bossed it. Um, you know, I'm going to say Christian Pulisic. I know that's sort of a stupid answer, but one goal, two assists. I mean, he was the playmaker for us. Yeah. Again, yeah. we're not getting out of the group if it's not for him. Um, he showed up when it mattered most. Um, yeah, had mistakes, but you could, if you want to nitpick it, Every sure. player, you, you can find something, right? Um, I think he had a. If we're doing rankings, I had probably a nine out of ten tournament. Um, I think he could have been better, especially on his corners. Um, God. God, we need to find a new corner kicker or new routine or something because he is awful at them. Um, probably like a three out of ten on that. <laughs> but um, Christian Pulisic was was the guy for us this tournament and it was actually really amazing to watch like i was like i don't know it's again a story that sort of wrote itself christian pulisic is he gonna be able to do it no he's sort of gone under under the radar now like he's not the guy for us we're looking to other people like Eunice musa that we talked about pre-tournament like that's who we thought might have a massive tournament he really let us down he was not great i mean he, he played his role in you know covering for the the right and left backs but like other than that it was just like he was just there um no christian's christian pulisic really stepped up for the u.s Men's national team and i just i just want to give credit where credit's due before sure. i move on because we do have to on this list that we're looking at and i'm gonna say it out loud so the people watching listening know what we're talking about brendan aronson four matches played 108 minutes uh kellen acosta two matches played 43 minutes Ferreira one match played 45 minutes cameron carter vickers one match played 90 minutes shaq moore two matches played 22 minutes jordan morris two matches played four minutes don't know how that works um geo reyna two matches played 53 minutes uh yedlin two matches played 33 minutes no luca de la torre no scally no christian Roldan. um anything on this list and i'm gonna uh blacklist geo reyna because i know we're gonna talk about him later um anybody on this list that you were surprised didn't get more playing time more starting time any of that surprised that they played at all Cool. I was happy to see Cameron Carter Vickers get the chance to play um, against Iran. I thought he actually put in a really good shift. I wasn't sure what was going to happen because Walker Zimmerman obviously gave up the penalty. Um, that was sort of a contentious point, but I was really happy to see um, CCV, as he's known, um, get some good playing time. So I guess sort of surprised, but like happy about it. Because um, I think he'd worked really hard recently with Celtic um, making them relevant, making, you know, his own name for himself. He'd been on loan like 10 times leaving Tottenham and has been in limbo yeah. for this long period. And, and so there was uncertainty going this World Cup, you know, who were going to be the center backs. So you had Miles Robinson go down. I was talking about Tim Ream, like kind of under the radar in some ways. So for him to actually get 
a performance and that was solid and dependable, I think actually makes his stock go up moving forward. He's still, I think, 25 or 6, maybe, so he's still young. And so come next World Cup, he actually might be more in his prime where he might be one of the guys. He might overtake a Walker Zimmerman. He might take Tim Ream's spot if he's too old to play at that point. So I think Cameron Carter-Vickers for me is the guy that stands out as far as that list goes. Yeah, Cameron Carter-Vickers, uh, he has that dog in him for sure. You could see with some of those challenges that he was putting in there. Real uh, – Christian Romero vibes uh, from Argentina, uh, laying it on some people. Um, but the guy that I want to put some respect to is arguably the guy that saved our group stage uh, chances of Kellen Acosta getting the yellow card of Gareth Bale. Um, I, I think I, as good as the U.S. men's national team midfield has been uh, throughout this World, World Cup tournament that, that they were, you realize you can't rely on three players to carry you through a tournament. And then you start to think about who's the next up in line. In my opinion, it's Kellen Acosta. And he's a guy that used to be touted as very high in U.S. soccer. Very high. Like four years ago, five years ago, like this guy is supposed to be the thing. As it goes, you know doesn't work out whatever i was very happy to see him on this world cup roster um I'm kind of a set piece guy as well for the usman's national team and his club team in colorado of uh, delivering set pieces anyways um i was glad to see him get a couple matches in i think he deserves it um and i think you could see the wear and the tear on the usman's national team midfield come that netherlands game you had injuries to the likes of weston mckinney um you're asking Tyler Adams to track all over the field um, as well. And don't get me wrong, midfield of the U.S. men's national team, phenomenal this tournament. But you have to start looking elsewhere. And I think you finally started classifying Aronson and Reyna as these kind of wingers-type players. But when you start doing that, when Aronson and Reyna are up top, up top players, who's your midfielders? You don't – who is your fourth midfielder that you have um, outside of Musa, Adams, and McKinney? And I think that's Acosta. Um, I think you put in a couple of really important shifts. Nothing glamorous, nothing, like, incredible. I think his saving grace is that, you know, that yellow card that he performed on Bale um, to save that counterattack. But if Wales wins that first game, it's a different tournament, dude. Um, yeah. And that's assuming he finishes that chance, which he very well could have. Um, but yeah, Acosta to me more so for the reason of I'm curious about the U.S. men's national team midfield outside of Musa, Adams, and McKinney. Um, super quick, I know we got to move on. Uh, the Shaq Moore experiment on the on the short case scenario failed this World <laughs> Cup. It could have. I don't like think it. it could have failed as worse as it did. I hate to say it for the player, Shaq Moore. You know, great player. It's kind of been the U.S. Men's National Team fold for a little while now, actually. Um, but you saw such a stark difference. And I said it on our last podcast actually about the backup right back of Sergio Dest. 
and the difference of subbing on Yedlin or subbing on Shaq Moore. And you could see that difference in later games. This is just things that happen. Like, games go into the 70th minute, the 80th minute. I, if you watch the World Cup final, I don't have to tell you how late a game can go in an important tournament. Um, wingbacks matter. Shaq Moore it maybe makes that Joe Scally omission uh, maybe more like greering right there. Maybe you wish you had Joe Scallion from Barshiro Majigalabak. Um, but anyways, that's all I'll say right mm-hmm. back. Not so good. And I'm curious the midfield status in our reserves and our backups because injuries happen and your boys be running a lot, especially Tyler Adams all over that damn field. So you got to give him a breather sometimes. So good shout to you, Gacosta and uh, Yedlin. Probably his last World Cup. So pouring out for the guy that's been playing since 2014, 2010, I think. I don't know. God. He's been in the mix for a long time. One of but our I most senior say... players. So pour one out. Pour one out for one of the vets. Congratulations. Yeah. And real quick, Aronson didn't start a game. Very surprising knowing the form he came into the tournament with. Yeah, that's um, huge. So that was sort of weird. And Luca De La Torre never saw the field. Um, I was sort of high on Luca De La Torre. I know he hadn't played much this season at his, I think Celta Vigo is his team. Um, so that could have been a reason. And I honestly don't know when he would have come in, but um, it's water under the bridge at this point. Cole, take it back. <laughs> yes. Uh, we'll get to some contentious points the rest of the episode. One of them kind of being... Greg Berhalter's time in Qatar, taking some review. Um, just what were people's thoughts on it? And um, for me, you know, I think initially people were getting, giving him a lot of the benefit of the doubt, um, having a young roster. He had a little bit more flexibility of who he could bring. Obviously, very, very many differing opinions on that. Uh, but he got that benefit of the doubt because it's a young roster. It's a first World Cup in eight years. So it's a lot of uncertainty coming in. Um, however, if you start to dissect things, I would start to become a little bit more critical of, of his actual performances in Qatar. I mean, we just talked a little bit about the substitutes, the starters who did and did not play. Um, I think, you know, I think in Wales, the, the Wales game to start out the World Cup, I actually think it was a decent match. I think we played well. Uh, certainly that first half we saw that. Um, but I don't think mm-hmm. I can pin anything against Berhalter in that game. I actually think, you know, we were pretty fundamental you just had some little errors like the um, break with uh, Zimmerman giving up the penalty. So I think I give him a pretty good pass on the Wales game. England, hard to say anything bad about that. You give Harry Kane no real chances to score. That's always a great game. But really, um, I think the Iran game and the Netherlands game, I start to see some things for me that I'm just like kind of classic Greg. Um, and I'll kind of pinpoint the Netherlands game. Pretty glaring result. 3-1, um, clearly outmatched against Louis van Gaal. Um, and for me, just the the thing that stuck out it, when it happened, and even now kind of revisiting it, is I think it's Jenny Taft. She's been the U.S. sideline reporter for the World Cup. And um, she asked the question, what did you prove of the potential of U.S. soccer moving forward? And Greg uh, responded, we made clear progress. People see a clear identity. They see guys that go out and fight for each other. And they see the talent on the field this particular night we came up short. Um, and so for me, I think the point of the question, did you prove anything? And that's where I get really hung up is I feel like we really didn't prove anything. 
Um, it's just in my eyes, I feel like we showed up, we played some decent games. We didn't really prove anything. Like we didn't prove to have a clear identity. I don't think I don't like, I don't know. Is a apparently the, the team has some cohesiveness. Like they're a good bunch together. They like each other, but I just didn't feel like we proved anything. You know, we didn't do anything that we hadn't done before in a world cup. Um, we've made a quarterfinal before, I think in what, 2002. Um, and so it's just, I feel like that's just the part I get let down. Um, you know, I, I, I'm glad we made the world cup, but I'm not just like raving with excitement that we lost to the Netherlands in the round of 16. Like, that doesn't feel like we accomplished anything. I feel like the standard for what the U S should have is it should have, you know, success on its mind and success doesn't look like what we came up with. I don't know if you guys agree. If you guys just want to move on to other things about what Greg did, I don't know. But for me, I feel like we didn't prove anything. I feel like Greg should probably be held accountable in some ways. Um, I think we saw a little bit of that with the whole Giorena thing and stuff with his accountability issues. But um yeah, I don't know if he needs to be fired. I'm not ready to have that discussion right now, maybe. But I don't know. I just I feel like I was a little bit let down by Greg's time in Qatar. Brandon, what well, about we, you? We are going to have that conversation in a couple minutes, so you better get ready for it. Oh, um, but no, I think uh, going in, I think it's fair to say we have no idea how this U.S. men's national team is going to play. Yeah, yeah. Um, we saw yeah. them in Columbus. We watched every single game in qualifying. Um, there was no clear patterns of play. I don't know why it didn't come across the screen, uh, but it felt like I was watching Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa. It's literally what it felt like. It was hard to watch a lot of the time. But we get into the tournament, and you can immediately tell there's, like, tactics. There's a one way we're trying to play. We're trying to string together a specific set of passes, almost like we're running plays, and... It works for the Tim Weigel. Like that was something that they work on in the training ground, like those movements. And so you're like, oh my God, like that is coaching. Um, you know, I do think Greg is at fault for the Welsh team getting back into the game. Yes. Um, very clear substitutions. Kiefer Moore's what? God, he's like six eight. I don't know. It's very clear what they're going to do when they sub on Kiefer Moore and take Dan James off the field. Very, very clear. So he did not adjust to that. <laughs> and what comes of it are a lot of chances for Wales that they could have scored, probably should have scored. Um, and then, you know, Walker's in a mistake at the end. They get a penalty, they score, they tie. But I watched the game back. We should have lost that game. Whale had The Wales had better chances than we did. Um, and yeah, if it weren't for pretty good save from Matt Turner, like we probably would have lost. So I think you can, again, you can just dissect games like that all the time and be like, Oh, well, what if with this, that, but yeah, like that again, we just hung on there. Right. I think the England game was pretty fair. Um, I think it yeah. was coached well. Um, I know we talked about Shaq Moore bad time to substitute Shaq Moore, I think, into that game and God, almost gave it away for us. But um and Harry Kane wasn't on. Uh he had a chance earlier in the game that was blocked by Walker Zimmerman. And then he had a free header basically at the very end of the game that he put wide. Yeah. Um so but that was a really good performance by the guys. I think you could really see a cohesive unit. And we gave it to him. 
I mean, um, I think Wes McKinney had two really good chances that game created from what they had learned from Greg. So I want to give him credit there too, right? Our, our patterns of play were looking good. Um, Iran, I don't remember much, but the Netherlands game where he just gets absolutely outcoached, and this came out, right? Louis Vingali even had comments on it saying like, yeah, we knew how they were going to play. And this is where Greg is obviously limited, doesn't have a plan B, can't tweak things on the fly very well. You know, what, what, we, what I just talked about in the Welsh game where he didn't and we almost lost and probably should have lost comes back to bite us when we play a really good team in the Netherlands um, with a better coach. So it's – I would just – I think we just came up short in that sense. Like I wish we had a little bit of a better coach who could change things on the fly and honestly bring in our best players in our pool, which would give us better options off the pitch. I mean, come on. I think it's not rocket science. Um, but no, I think all in all, and sorry for this long monologue, but all in all, I think we really, it, I think, I think we did prove that we can do it. It was again with the youngest team in the tournament, we were doing it against the top players in the world in Europe. Um, that English national team is nothing to laugh about. They are very good. Um, the Netherlands, some really good players. Um, so I, I think, again, putting our foot in the door was a success. Um, getting to the round of 16 for me is what I expected, but I consider that success as well. So I, all in all, this tournament was a success. Yeah, I'll, I'll be pretty brief. But I'd give Greg and it, the main two an A minus and a B plus. I'll give him a B plus on this tournament. Um, I'm not whole Greg Berhalter out kind of guy. The facts of the situation are that we did not qualify for the last World Cup and that we tied Wales, we tied England, and we advanced the round of 16, beat Iran. That's something that Germany did not do. Germany did not advance to the round of 16. This is something that I think in U.S. soccer, really quick, is there's an arrogance about U.S. soccer fans that I'm sure I'm guilty of. That, yeah, like, we should be advancing in this tournament. Like, we're not these crappy teams in the group stage or whatever it is. Like, we need to be playing up to this potential. This German team has failed to come out of the group stage the past two World Cups. It has a very much way more talented roster than the U.S. Men's National Team. So let's not take this away. It's an achievement to advance <laughs> to the round of 16. I'm not going to spend too much time yeah. on that. However, this these things happen. Like it's the World Cup. It's different. The U.S. plays against CONCACAF opponents, which is from the U.S. You know, you have Canada, you have the Caribbean teams, and you have Central America, like Mexico, Honduras, etc., and so you don't have these opponents. You come into this tournament, you play way higher level of opponents um, than what you're used to. So Greg Berhalter, honestly, first half of the Wales game was absolute class. We looked amazing. Um, second half, God, it was terrible. I'm, I'm not. I'm, it was bad. It was bad. Um, you know, you escape with the tie there. I agree with Brandon that we very well could be walking out of that game with a loss. Um, but then again, you can attribute that to 
holding out for a draw, whatever it is. Anyways, you come into England, draw, incredible uh, players, playing phenomenal, incredible. Greg, good job coaching, whatever. Iran, you hold on to the game. The Netherlands game, I think, is what it all boils down to as far as the Greg Berhalter grade for myself. Um, I don't think any U.S. fan can be mad about drawing against England. You know, people have their qualms about the Wales game. If you win the Wales game, everything is different. Honestly, that's a whole separate conversation that I'm not even, like, going to try to have. Like, everything's different if you win the Wales game. But that's not what happened. So going into the Netherlands game, the manner in which the goals are conceded of a Danny Blind goal, a 35-year-old, 36-year-old, however old he is, he seems like he's 50, um, wing back for the Netherlands, scores. Tyler Evans isn't, isn't tracking back, whatever. And then Anthony Robinson concedes on a set piece, not covering his man. It's very unfortunate. I think it's on the players. I think the substitutes could be better, however – Defending Greg Berhalter, which I don't like to do. We're going to get into it more. Um, I mean, I yeah, to Brandon's point, I think the, the, the quote of he doesn't have a plan B, like struggles with a plan B is huge here. To adapt to a game of getting out coached as opposed to sticking with your game plan as to adapting to counter that, that's something that we saw just didn't happen. Um, and it was like too late almost. You felt yeah, like when you're, when, when you're watching the Netherlands game, it was like Cole and I were watching the game together and it was just like the Haji Wright goal disclaimer. That goal was such a fluke. I'm sorry. I don't know if you guys have a different opinion of it. I mean, the ball was in a dangerous area, but it was so unintentional. The U S scores and you get life back into the game. And then you immediately concede and, an unorganized, totally just honestly embarrassing way in such a do or die game. It was it was on it was embarrassing to me. Like honestly, I think the way that the U.S. bowed out of this tournament, and I'm about to finish up right now, but the way the U.S. bowed out of the tournament, I think almost if it was more commendable, then I think it would have been a you know like we're right there. We lost two to one, but. Having two U.S. defenders look at each other with their hands up in the air about conceding a goal that buried you out of the tournament, that's just not a good look. But anyways, I'll give a B plus. All that being said, it was really unfortunate. That's the thing. It was such a bitter taste in the mouth in that Netherlands game. But let's not escape. Did not go to the World Cup last, last time around. Advanced the round of 16. Germany can't say that. They can't say that the past eight years. You know? And it's just the way the World Cup is sometimes. Netherlands, good squad, whatever it is. You got out coached. It happens sometimes. You got to improve. Identity-wise, you kind of saw tactics and plans. You didn't really see it in qualifying. It was kind of flying by the seat of our pants just to qualify. Um, you saw something in the World Cup. You didn't see adjustments. You want to see improvement. And I think we're going to get there in 2026. Optimistic side of me, honestly. So, but anyways, that's I all like I got to say about that. Side of you. Yeah, well, you yeah, know, I it think... doesn't come out much, but, you know, <laughs> I let it shine sometimes. <laughs> well, the, the big thing, too, I think that my 
kind of affect how people think about Greg Berhalter was the whole Gia Reyna situation. Um, some drama in the locker room, uh, some leaks, some things straight from the mouth, like the horse's mouth, uh, Greg and Gia themselves. So, Steve, you kind of have some insight of the story. You followed it. I know you kind of like the story, you like some drama here and there. Uh, but give us a kind of a brief breakdown of what happened between Gia Reyna and Greg Berhalter in Qatar at the World Cup. Boom. Here we go. Giovanni Reyna, one of the best up-and-coming U.S. national team soccer players, plays for Barshua Dortmund over in Germany. He's 20 years old. So here's what we know so far. All the stuff is coming out. It's literally like the most reality, dramatic TV show that you could think of. But real Greg Berhalter, honestly, real, real housewives of U.S. men's national team. Um Greg Berhalter, after the tournament had concluded um, for the U.S. men's national team, that is, um, being knocked out, spoke at a leadership conference. And I'm just going to read the whole quote here uh, so we can get the whole, the whole synopsis and we'll get the reaction from the boys. But um, to give you preface, preface or whatever, uh, Giovanni Reyna, that's been the question of the whole tournament. Where is he? He's not being subbed on. He was not subbed on in the first game against Wales. Jordan Morris was subbed on. Um, and there was rumors about, oh, Giovanni Reyna has an injury with his hamstring, feels a little bit tight. Giovanni comes out and says, I feel good to go. So this is after the fact that U.S. is eliminated from the tournament. Greg Berhalter was speaking at a leadership conference. Here we go. Greg Berhalter is quoted saying, in this last World Cup, we had a player that was clearly not meeting expectations on and off the field. Berhalter said without naming, 20-year-old Reyna, one of 26 players, so it stood out. As a staff, we sat together for hours deliberating what we were going to do with this player. We were ready to book a plane ticket home. That's how extreme it was. <laughs> and what it came down to was we're going to have one more quote one more conversation with him and part of the conversation was how we're going to behave from here on out there aren't going to be any more infractions but the other thing we said to him was you're going to have to apologize to the group the group being the players the team the squad etc but it's going to have to say why you're apologizing not just saying hey i'm sorry but Greg Berhalter quoting saying why you're apologizing. It's going to have to get deeper than just guys. I'm sorry. And prepped the leadership group with this. I said, okay, this is, this guy is going to apologize to you as a group to the whole team. And what was fantastic in this whole thing is that after he apologized, they stood up one by one and said, listen, it hasn't been good enough. You haven't been meeting our expectations of a teammate, and we want to see change. They really took ownership of that, of that process. And from that day on, there was no issues with the player. As a coach, the way you can deal with things most appropriately is going back to your values because it's difficult to send a player home. It was going to be a massive controversy. You would have been reading bit. about it for five days straight, but we were prepared to do it because he wasn't meeting the standards of the group and the group was prepared to 
do it as well. There's a lot in that statement in which I just unpacked. The elephant in the room is 20-year-old Giovanni Reyna. Um, I question prepping that to Cole and Brandon here is, what are your reactions out of that? Out of after watching the U.S. in the tournament, does it make you know the whole thing coming clear with Giovanni Reyna not being a part of the team? What were your initial reactions, kind of after reading the story? And yeah, does what do you make of Greg Berhalter? Managerial decisions, does it make sense? Less sense, opinions changing, gut reactions after the story came out after the US was eliminated. I think for me, first of all, Steven, that was a great little audible session we had there. I just listened to you talk, your voice stopped. Like I'm listening to a different podcast. Um, no, so for me, Really, it just felt like one of those sentences was like, this is how we're going to do it. You're going to apologize. It felt like I had a first grader and a first grader get into a fight and they had to apologize to each other. Like some school kid crap. Like that's what that feels like. But at the same time, like appreciating the fact that there had to be ownership for someone's actions that affects the whole team, right? Like obviously this World Cup matters so much to each player and you have to achieve that you have to achieve things together. So to have one part of the team totally lagging behind in effort and attitude, that can have a trickle effect to others. Like if it's just, you know, generally being upset with one another or just the performance on the field. And so it's always something you have to address. So I appreciate that from Greg. Um, however, letting this come out and the manner that it did at a conference in front of a group of people, that's just very strange to have that come out. It's not like <clears throat> something to be proud of. It's not something that you really want to share. It's like going back talking about an old relationship with an ex or something, be like, yeah, you know, and then like letting them find out that you told someone about that. Like you talking about your ex or someone else and you go back and tell your ex like, yeah, I said this about that. And I was just so confusing to me why Greg opened this Pandora's box. Of and again, trouble. to be clear, he was at a leadership conference. He was not asked about anything to do with Giovanni Reina at the World Cup. He was at a leadership conference and chose to spoke about this in regards to leadership. He could have talked about his time playing with the U.S. Men's National Team, his time coaching the Columbus crew in the MLS, his time abroad in Europe, but specifically chose, and I think this matters, to talk about this most recent World Cup with the player who shall not be named, he thought it was off the record in Giovanni Reyna. Like, this is what he chose to talk about. So I think that matters. Like, it's not like he was handicapped, pigeonholed into a corner of talking about managerial coaching decisions about this past World Cup. He could have chose to go a various amount of different avenues. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Brandon, do you have anything? Yeah, I you know the leadership conference. I don't know if it was like a in Qatar and really focused on like football and and the I think World it was Cup. in the states. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. So I don't know. That's just sort of weird. But also like recency, right? If he's on the spot thinking of a situation, like that's definitely obviously the first one that come comes to mind, and he chose to speak about it um so whether you know that's the u.s soccer federation's fault for not writing a speech for him or whatever it is like anywho but when i first heard this i was like okay i'm not mad about this at all because 
we were all wondering this the whole time. Why yes. isn't Giovanni Reyna playing? Now we know, right? Now we know. Um, we also know from the statement that Greg lied <laughs> when he said, oh, Giovanni Reyna's hurt. Um, when Giovanni Reyna was not injured, um, it was because of this behavioral stuff. So again, in a weird way, covering for Gio, right? Instead yes. of coming out and saying, oh yeah, no, he's he's almost on his way back to the States or back to Germany. Like he's he's not participating well or doing whatever. Saving Gio, right? The humiliation of that with the media, making up a lie, I can get behind. Personally, yeah. I can get behind. I, I mean, for what it is, I, I can get behind that. But the, like it just keeps getting worse like the more you read it like <laughs> and, and I, I also want to say another thing like he's trying to build a culture in u.s soccer very very hard thing to do um bu- building culture is hard but especially with this bad soccer federation <laughs> he's been building it for the past four years or so like three i think um and you would think he's building it to go into the next world cup, right? These same sort of guys, the other people that are going to show up, right? The younger people that are going to be in the next pool, all of this and really have built this camaraderie that we've never seen as U S soccer fans, as, as a U.S. soccer federation and use that, you know, to maybe win a world cup one day. I don't know. Oh. But the more you read, Again, I liked your Cole, your thing about the first graders fighting and saying, "Now you're gonna have to go tell the class why you did that." It, it's true. It's sort of like, dude, what, what? Um, maybe you need to go sit at a leadership conference and learn something. Um, but like, what is this last quote here? I, and I don't want to mess this up. This will be my last point. But oh yeah, going back to your values, because it's difficult to send yeah. a player home. It was going to be a massive controversy. You would have been reading about it for five days straight, but we are prepared to do it because it wasn't meeting the standards of our group. Um, it's so funny because literally that statement is exactly what he, by talking about it, is exactly yeah. against that <laughs> exact statement. First of all, um, I want to say this as well. Giovanni is not our best player, Okay. People, I've seen people on social media saying, Giovanni Reyna is our best player. Why isn't he playing? He is not our best player. Not, he has a very, very high ceiling. You can argue the, it if you want, but it's a tough argument. It, it's, it's not true. Um, <laughs> but maybe in the future, has a very, very high ceiling, has not achieved that yet. Has achieved very He's little. He's what, 20 years old? Yeah. He's still so, 20 years old in November 13th. So... He's not there yet where he can call the shots. He's not the Le- LeBron James of soccer. He's not Christian Pulisic. So, um, but it's like you're not going to send that dude home. You're not, right. especially when you have Jordan Morris on the bench. And this is what also pisses me off. I can keep going, I think. Jordan Morris played four minutes to spite Gio Reyna. Hello, people. Open up your eyes. That's the, why, that's the reason why Jordan Morris got on the field. Was it against Wales, was it? Yeah. It was to spite Gio Reyna. That is so messed up and unprofessional. It's like, 
what is going on with these values that you hold so closely and dearly? It's like, and I think what it comes down to is keeping it with ha- within the house of, yes. of the team and, and keeping that culture of being having a bond, right? Like having a bond that's going to continue to grow. It's going to grow into the next World Cup and it'll continue to grow after that. And people that are coming behind you are going to learn that and that is going to be the way forward. Yeah. All of the work that Greg Dunn did up until this point, I think is just, there's just marks all over it now, right? I don't know. Yeah. No, I agree. I think as well, he should have taken some notes from our old friend, Jose Mourinho. I prefer not to speak. If I speak, I'm in big trouble. Big trouble. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's just like, my guy, like, it's just so easy to, to like say it without saying it, you know, it's just like, you know, we've had to deal with players in the locker room before, like instances of just having to deal with conduct, stuff like that. Right. Like it's so easy to give advice and move on from that. But I think the important part here is that Gio actually had a response. Um, he came out on Instagram publicly and said, I hope not to comment on matters at the World Cup. It is my belief that things happen in a team setting ought to remain private. That being said, statements have been made that reflect on my professionalism and character. So I feel the need to make a brief statement. Just before the World Cup, Coach Burhalter told me that my role at the tournament would be very limited. I was devastated. I am someone who plays with pride and passion. Soccer is my life, and I believe in my abilities. I fully expected and desperately wanted to contribute to the play of a talented group as we try to make a statement at the World Cup. I'm also a very emotional person. Keep in mind, he's only 20 years old. And I fully acknowledge that I let my emotions get the best of me and affect my training and behavior for a few days after learning about my limited role. I apologize to my teammates and coach for this, and I was told I was forgiven. Take note of that. Thereafter, I shook off my disappointment and gave everything I had on and off the field. And I'm disappointed that there is continuing coverage of this matter, as well as some highly fictionalized versions of events. And extremely surprised that anyone on the U.S. men's soccer team staff would contribute to it. Coach Burhalter has always said that the issues that arise to the team will stay in-house so we can focus on team unity and progress. I love my team. I love representing my country. And I'm focusing now only on improving and growing as a soccer player and a person. I hope that going forward, each person involved in U.S. soccer focuses only on what is in the best interest of the men's national team so we can enjoy great success at the World Cup in 2026. So really for me, I just want to lay on this last point before we kind of linger on this too long. But for you guys, we gave a lot of criticism to Greg. Gio gave his point in rebuttal. But for you, Stephen... Who is more to blame in this whole situation? Is it Gio's attitude going in after being told you have a limited role? Or is it Greg for his mishandling of it and making this a public thing? Where would you land on this matter? Yeah, so I think we've talked about it. Like you I think you hit it perfectly. It's both these people these players' faults. It's it's Greg Burhalter's fault as a coach. It's Giovanni Bonnie Reyna's fault as a player. But I think the more blame lies with the more mature character in this and it's the coach it's the coach it has to be the coach keeping it in house talking about your values all of these things even like brandon was saying i'm okay with my coach going out lying for my player to protect them you know right you don't want their you know like giovanni reyna in this statement admits emotional apologizing claims everything so it's yep. not about the 13 to 12 vote to keep him in Qatar. 
or send him home on a plane. It's not about getting confronted by players saying, hey, this isn't good enough. You know, who those players are, who know? It's McKinney. It's whoever it is coming up to Giovanni saying, hey, man, this isn't good enough. We need better out of you. Or you're going home. That's not what we're talking about at this point. It's about club unity. It's about keeping it in-house and developing a culture, a culture that you've so profoundly marketed to the media of this is what you've done. This is one of the main staple points of Greg Berhalter talks about a winning mentality, a, you know, a brotherhood, you know, that's it's, it's, you know, every coach says it to be fair, but to go out and directly contradict this before the tournament is even over cannot yeah. be lost on me. The tournament just ended. This happened like a week ago. This already seems like old news. This was 10 days ago. This Giovanni Reina issue. So it's these kinds of things that bother me as a coach. Like Greg Berhalter is managing. That's your job. Managing a locker room of players in Giovanni Reina. Is he our Christian Pulisic? No. Is he this Clint Dempsey, you know, savior of the U.S. men's national team? Maybe. I don't know. But he's not at that level yet. So it it doesn't have to even be – point being, this isn't like Christian Pulisic, right? I think that's also important too. This is not Christian Pulisic throwing a fit. This is not Christian Pulisic showing a poor attitude. This is a young breaking into the starting 11, maybe. Like no one's expecting this guy to start every game. And you're just it's, – it's the trust thing. It's the trust thing of – can I trust my coach to keep an issue in house when he says I'm forgiven? We have a vote. We talk about it, whatever. It's this big thing. Or is he going to go talk about it at a leadership conference to boost his own ego? I mean, that's the thing that has to be going through Giovanni Reina's head and not to be super petty, but likers of Giovanni Reina's Instagram post, Oren McKenzie Gaines, Ricardo Pepe, Jonathan Brooks, some guys that were left out of this World Cup roster. And as petty as it may sound, these are things that you're going to have to deal with is unity, players' attitudes towards the coach. Do they want to play for this guy? Some even pundits on ESPN FC, Stevie Nichol from Liverpool, uh, former coach in the MLS, talks about it's coach suicide. Uh, why would you do this if you don't have a foot out the door? The question lies about mm. Greg Berhalter's future with the U.S. men's national team. Does he want to coach abroad? Like we just said, I think we all give him at least above a B for his World Cup performance. Um, marketing himself for abroad jobs, I don't know. But I think that's the thing that just puts such a sour taste in my mouth. You make the round of 16, you lose to the Netherlands. In reality, no one's going to be upset at you. Like, Used to the Netherlands, they're a better team than the U.S. men's national team. Everybody's going to say that, except Charles Barkley. But at the end of the day, you lose to the Netherlands, sure, it's upsetting. You don't defend the way you want to, whatever it is. But this shit that comes out like this, it's embarrassing. Yeah. It, well, you, Steven, you're, it, you're, you're a baseball guy, and you kind of started with the three points that Gio made. And those are kind of one strike, two strike, three, which sort of means you're out, right? And Brandon, so I want to come to you. 
is you kind of said it earlier. I didn't want to have the conversation, but you said we're going to have it. Is it time for Greg Berhalter to finish his time at the U.S. or what happens next? Um, a lot of controversy over his hiring at the beginning. If we want to go back that far, um, interim coach for 13 months without a head coach for the U.S. <laughs> men's national team yeah, over and a year. And that's not what I'm having saying. a head he coach. Only, yeah, he was only here for what three years? Is it? Yeah, or whatever it is. Um, and you know, didn't make the team look great during qualifying, but we qualified. That's really all that mattered at the end of the day, right? Those were on the goal boards. That that was the most important thing. We did it. Get to Qatar. Uh, again, the selections. Not selecting your best squad from your pool of players. I will never understand it, but, you know, that's that's whatever, and I think that has to do with more of the soccer federation, to be honest. Which I can, I'm actually going to comment on in a second. But yeah, and does an amazing job at the tournament. Um, I am not a Greg Berhalter lover by any means. Um, quite more on the negative side. But after the after we went out, I was like, Greg can be our coach in 2026. I'm totally fine with that. We don't have to qualify. We're already in. He knows all the guys. We played a great tournament, I'd say. Again, B plus to A minus. We succeeded, in my opinion. We look like we had an identity. If we can just grow from that, have better players, older players, more mature players, like we are going to be in a very good spot. Remember, tournaments like this, like it takes a different style of coach. It's not going to be a Pep Guardiola. It's not going to be like that. Um, Gareth Southgate would get battered in the Premier League if he was coaching there. So it's not it's not about that. It's it takes a specific unique coach to really again man manage. Which again, this is why it's so confusing. International coaches are there to manage the best players from your nation. You're not there to set up Pep Guardiola tactics. You're there to put them all together, make them be coherent and cohesive, and go play and try to win. Um, anywho. Talking about the U.S. Soccer Federation, oh, you were, Steve was talking about there was this voting controversy that was happening within the team. Um, I don't think that's real. Um, there's a lot of things that have come out that I was I was reading, and you know the sources, which are pretty valid sources, right? That get their information from the U.S. Soccer Federation. That has now that we now know. The U.S. Soccer Federation was lying to the sources like that we would get news from. So what does like what does that even mean? Like who like who's in cahoots with who? Right. Like that's that just like makes it even deeper. So I'm like, okay, yes, I think Greg Berhalter should be fired after this or not come back. I, I do. I was thinking that he would have the job and I'd be fine with it. Now I'm like, no, he he has to go. He can't resign, whatever it is. But then I'm like, the soccer federation's covering for his ass, um, or trying to. They're gonna offer him a job. They're gonna offer him the next four years. I'm like, there's no way, right? So now I don't know what's gonna happen. I, I, there's just no way he comes back though. Like, there's no way in my mind that he comes back. But he also left PFOC off the roster, so I have no idea what's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, would... it's a jumbled mess. Yeah, I would be shocked if he does come back. Just, I mean, 
just a super cool question because I know you know we gotta keep moving on, but it's as a player in this U.S. Men's National Team locker room. Obviously, none of us can speak to this because we're not professionals. But do you trust the guy? Like you, you have issues with the coach. You apologize to the team. It's kind of embarrassing to be Reyna, like just turning twenty years old. Let's be real; he's a teenager. He's a kid. Apologizing has a poor attitude. You know, basically gets also a little bit more backstory. Gets criticized for his, you know, reaction in a scrimmage game against um, a Qatari team while in Qatar, like prepping for the Wales game. So that's kind of when all this drama is the effort, the kind of performance he put in in the scrimmage game, in the friendly, whatever it is. As a player in the U.S. Men's National Team locker room, you see a guy like Berhalter, your coach, dare I say betray the trust of a player? How do you how do you play for this guy? Am I over dramatic? Am I over dramatic in saying that? Number one, and like, how do you move forward with this whole culture thing? Like Brandon was saying, like I'm I'm with Brandon honestly. I'm not with I'm not Burhalter out no matter what. I wasn't on that train. You know, progress was made in my opinion, but when it comes to this, like man managing, and you're getting that wrong, I kind of don't want you part of my team, but. Am I overdramatic in saying how do you, can you trust this coach as a player? Is that something? And yeah, what what's your thoughts on that, Cole? Well, the whole thing boils down. To, well, I guess <laughs> that part can kind of see a spiderweb effect of just like that can open so many doors of like the team splitting up in different factions of yeah like we support Berhalter because of what he did or you know if either which way so it's i hope like as a player they're professional enough just to understand like people make mistakes um you know sometimes people speak out of turn and it's just like whatever and even as adults i mean i think we give a lot of credit to adults sometimes and they don't deserve it adults make a lot of stupid decisions as well I mean, Gio's a young kid, but adults do plenty of dumb things. And um, I think the players will probably still trust Greg. That may not mean they are super in love with him, but obviously they've shown that they're willing to fight um, for him, for the country. And that's probably what it matters the most, honestly, is the country. It doesn't matter who's going to be coaching them in the World Cup. You know, happen to be this year in 2022, 2026. The guys are going to fight regardless. And it's like, that's the kind of thing that, I can take comfort in and I can as a player just be like, you know, like I'm gonna give my all regardless of that. And it might be one or two guys that don't. And Geo happened to be that guy this tournament. Um, but I don't think it's I don't think there's enough time together to be as dramatic as like a Premier League coach having an ill relationship with a player like Deli Alley and Mourinho or Conte or whatever. Like obviously Deli's a whole interesting story, but I'm just saying like a guy that gets left out that had been sort of productive. And all of a sudden he's totally ousted. Like that's for me, like it's a totally different situation being an international coach. You don't have the same one-on-one time with the players. And so it's hard to like be as fractured. It's easier to mend relationships. It's easier to do whatever. And so I don't think it's going to be much of an issue moving forward. I think we can be a little bit more optimistic because there is a lot of young talent that's growing in the next four years. Um, so hopefully this is now, I said earlier in the, the broadcast water on the bridge i hope that's what it is i hope we can move forward from this it's just a non-event um but it's a growing opportunity for both geo um and greg berhalter but 
Um, I think ultimately it'll be okay. And Brandon, I think you maybe share the same thoughts or different thoughts. Yeah, quickly taking the emotions out of the the situation. Greg Berhalter was asked to speak at a conference, obviously not prepped well by the U.S. Soccer Federation, what to say, what not to say, which I think is their job or someone's job. Um, and again, this is after they've already squashed the beef within the camp. It's all done. It's over with. You would. There's another view where you say everybody's mature enough to be like, yeah, that happened. It shouldn't be a secret. I don't know why it's a secret, but it is for whatever reason okay, it comes out at this conference. Are people actually mad about it? Like, are the players, I, I, don't, I don't know the answer to this, but I'm just like, are the players mad about Greg talking about a situation that people were probably already going to figure out at some point anyway? Right. And he, you know, t- to Greg's, you know, like aid i guess he didn't know it was going to be broadcasted to the world like this and i think it just blew up because we were finally like oh my god he's talking about geo oh my god well it's just like i think we all already knew the situation it's just he talked about it so i don't know how the players in the camp view him talking about it i think that's again where the big issue lies if they're very mature and they're like yeah so what we're gonna go back on the pitch and we're gonna fight for the country He's a good enough coach. We like where he's gotten us to this point. He, we, we want him to stay. Yeah, that could be a that could be a real possibility. Um, putting the motion back into it, though, I don't think there's any chance he can come back. But yeah, real quick, I I think that like these players are looking at this and saying the fact that it came out the way it did. I think it'd be very different if this is in a book in two years. This is very raw because it just happened. Uh, yeah. right after the tournament and he's talking he also about didn't it. like come out and bash geo though like i think that's a huge distinction here it's like he was just talking about a general situation that was a real situation but like wasn't like geo reyna did this and this is what right. he did to and, him. yeah and what <laughs> it know? came and what it comes down to for me is keeping it in house that's the whole yeah. thing for me which i'm not going to spend too much time on like at to your point is it the biggest deal in the world? No. However, the fact that you come to a coach like, yeah, we're going to deal with this issue in-house or whatever it is, and that same coach talks about it at a conference yeah. is is so painfully ironic that it can't be ignored. And I think that's what comes with the whole media buzz around it. And mm-hmm. the fact that it has to be like, it, that it's that ironic like it's not there's a, a soundbite from one person telling a new, like the athletic it's him talking about it on a stage as an example to strangers yeah. <laughs> and expecting it not to be on the record i don't know if you're naive or stupid or both or whatever it is like come on like that you, you you're not let's be real here you know what i mean so i think that's the big issue whether it's a big issue to the club or to all the players in that clubhouse or I guess locker room or whatever, that's to your whole point. That's, that's the big, that's the big deal. So the motion in the game, is it going to matter to the club? I mean, the players are just excited to be playing for the country to your whole point. Yeah. International soccer, very different than club soccer to Cole's point as well. I think we'll be fine in 2026. 
I think they'll be a new coach. We'll find out probably honestly within these next 30 days, which will be very wild and exciting. So we well, let's look, let's look forward to 2026. Out. Let's, oh. let's start to, yeah, I know. Let's kind of like close things out here with some optimism. Hopefully I like to be optimistic. Sometimes we've been up and down the optimism train, some highs and some lows, but Looking forward to 2026. As I said earlier, it's still a young core group of players. We have a solid core guys like in the midfield. We have Pulisic, Adams, McKenney, Brendan Aronson's been blossoming recently with Leeds. So that's the thing for me that excites me is we have this young core of players that despite who the manager may or may not be, hopefully what they can do is that we can continue to have exports to these players, go to play in places in Europe in competitive and tough leagues. So that way when we come to 2026, what happened this year can be grown upon. I know you guys said it. I was maybe a little bit more critical, rightfully, wrongfully, whichever way, that I think we should be looking to go deeper in these tournaments. It is very hard, but I want there to be a sense of optimism that we can actually get things done in four years. And so something that's going to have to happen is we're going to have to develop a true number nine that's dependable in the next four years. Well, it's someone that we already have, like a Josh Sargent, if it is a Hazes Ferrer, if it is um, PFOC, whoever it is, I don't know. But that's just something I feel like we have to have. That's going to be a major talking point as we only scored, what, three goals this tournament? And mm-hmm. one of them was sort of a fluke. And one of them required Christian Blissick to do some superhuman things in Tim Way that was fundamental in his finishing. So three goals in the tournament is not something that excites me and it's something that I just know we're going to have to grow upon because – we're pretty solid in most other areas. And so I look forward to the next four years. That's where I land. Um, I'm excited to see, you know, what we do in the gold cup, what we do potentially rumors of us playing in the Copa America. Like that's what I want us to do is play against Argentina to play against Chile, play against whoever Colombia. Like that's what this team needs to be doing. And that's what excites me is that we have the opportunity to challenge ourselves sort of like what we did in this world cup. It was a big challenge to get here and to play the teams that we did. And I want to see us continue to do that. Um, so for me, that's where I am. Brandon, as you look to 2026, what are you looking forward to as a nation? I'm worried about not having a qualification, like period. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope we don't take our foot off the gas coming off of this great World Cup. Um, and I hope we keep pushing towards 2026 i hope there's never a moment where we where we relax i hope this team keeps growing um and i really think they will i think we will be a a very scary team come 2026 if we continue on the trajectory that we are on um and yeah I, i i would love for us to see i don't know i'm really excited about the next group of young players i mean paxton aronson brennan aronson's brother again very young just went to frankfurt this week yeah i saw that yeah so he'll probably be in the mix which is going to be interesting to have both the brothers again still young by 2026 i'm excited for the next crop of players to come in and get into the system and really push the guys that are already there i think that's probably what i'm excited most about yeah uh uh, to me, it's the players that weren't on this roster. It's the Miles Robinsons. It's the Daryl DKs. It's the Mihailoviches, um, the Vasquezes, all that stuff. 
Yeah, I think this next four years is going to be a huge trial period for these players at their clubs. Since there is no qualifying period, their qualifying period is their club play. So uh, the big question mark for me actually is the number nine, which you could argue is the most glaring. It's the center back position. You had shaky performances from Walker Zimmerman. You have Tim Ream, who is probably aging out of this team um, as well. So guess what? You get two center back roles. You're going to fill with a player coming off of an Achilles injury and Miles Robinson that you assume is a lock. Um, Chris Richards that you're assuming is a lock. But who knows? Honestly, the next four years could be a lot. And so Tim Ream coming out and not retiring from international play. So I actually think that could be very beneficial to younger center backs learning underneath them probably within these next two years maybe he plays in gold cup and whatnot it's these mentor roles that i think are very important for this young roster that i'd love to see um take shape but i'm excited i think we'll have a great team for 2026 lock down the number nine position what's so great about soccer is we're talking about daryl dk for west bromwich albion in the championship and i don't think it's too dramatic i mean it could happen you could be talking about him playing for you know, a Crystal Palace or a Brighton or a Frankfurt. Who knows? You, you never know. I think a case in point is the Germany striker this past World Cup played for, help me out here, Werder Bremen. Am I right? Yes, yes. Werder Bremen, second division team, um, came in, scored World Cup goals. Like, at the end of the day, y'all, like, this is players in form, Find the international team. That is the recipe that just tends to happen. Um, so who knows? Who knows who will be on this yep. roster in 2026? It will look different than it did this past uh, this past go around. So I'm excited about it. The Aronsons, Brendan Vasquez. What's he going to prove? Who's he going to play for? Is it Mexico or the United States? That's still not even out yet. That's wild to me. Um all of these fun, dramatic things we could see take place. Christian Pulisic, will he have three Ballon d'Ors by the time? <laughs> uh, the next the next World Cup is, we'll see. It's exciting, and I'm excited to be along for the ride. Heck yeah. Well, I'm excited for the ride. I know certainly we're going to start saving up our money so we can actually get some tickets to watch this thing in person. Hopefully, um, I know I'm trying to be there working hard to make that happen, but come on, um, Santa. That, <laughs> come on, Santa. Come on. Uh, but that about wraps things up with our discussion on the U.S. men's national team for today on The Bad Fan. We hope you guys enjoyed the discussion. Uh, we talked about a lot of different things, um, certainly some highs and lows and some drama here and there, but um, we hope you enjoyed it. Leave a comment on your thoughts of you know where you stand in the Greg Berhalter situation, the things that you're excited about for 2026, um, and everything in between love to hear about that from you if you made it this far you might as well subscribe to the channel please uh, click the notification bell to stay updated every time we post it helps us out a lot um, as we try to grow this channel and um, do this thing together but we have been Cole Carter Brandon Pacing, and our best friend Stephen Curl um, we hope you guys have a Merry Christmas if you're celebrating until the next one on here we'll see you then peace out <laughs>